Hello, everyone. We are so excited to have Gwen Whiting, co-founder of Eco-Friendly Laundry Care and Home Cleaning Solutions brand, The Laundress, on the Style the Finds podcast. She went to Cornell and then worked in design at Ralph Lauren. After one too many pieces were ruined at the dry cleaners, on top of knowing how toxic dry cleaning is and wanting to avoid the large bills that come with dry cleaning your clothes, Gwen set out to create a solution that led them to found the laundress in 2004. We cannot wait to learn more about this brand that has been featured in Vogue, Women's Wear Daily, Forbes, Daily Front Row, and many more. They've collaborated with John Mayer, Lilabo, and J. Crew. Thank you so much for being here, Gwen. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I love your story. I'm so glad that we got to chat prior to this recording. Will you tell us what led you to start The Laundress? <laughs> Uh, many moons ago, <laughs> um, actually, it was it was twenty years um, since having the the epiphany of of the laundress, which was my true need for an alternative to, as you mentioned, dry cleaning, um, but also what was available in in the marketplace in the grocery store. Um, there was very, very few options, uh, very much a one size fits all laundering solution that we're all aware of that come in big bottles. And there was also the one size fits all for hand washing, which was, was Woolite. And I just, I knew that, that it could be better. Um, I was working at Ralph Lauren. I had my collection of cashmere sweaters amongst other prize items that I was collecting as a, as a young fashion design employee of a wonderful company and just had so many personal struggles with how to care for, for my items. That is a common problem, especially with cashmere sweaters and things like that. And, you know, all the different things and Woolite is a nice product, but it's been around for a hundred years. It seems like, right? Yeah. There, there was definitely room for improvement. Time for a little update. That's exactly right. <laughs> I know it was a big decision to leave that fabulous job and pursue the laundress. How did you get up the nerve to do it? And how did you know when the time was right? I loved my job. I loved my company. I loved my boss. I loved my coworkers. I loved what I was doing. But I also, I just had this passion for for building this brand. And I knew mm-hmm. I knew I had to do the laundress. I knew that this was... I, I call it, it's a solution. It's a, a literal solution. It's liquid, but it also had so many uh, educational solutions for people that I knew I needed. And so many, you know, if I needed it, so many other people did too. And, mm-hmm. you know, and it wasn't just, you know, sort of this idea of a luxury item um, that I was trying to manage, you know, it's just those pit stains, you know, ring around the collar, sure. uh, investing a hundred dollars and, you know, into a pair of jeans for the first time, or even wanting to preserve, you know, something that was near and dear to me that I'd been, you know, wearing from high school or whatnot. Um, so, you know, while it was, while I loved everything about my career and my job and where I was, I also look very much at it as as part of my journey. And, you know, as great as college was, I had to graduate and move on. And so I, I really looked at that as how I graduated from Ralph Lauren. That's a great 
a great metaphor. When it's time, it's time. And you just time is time. Yeah. Yeah. So that was sort of the, uh, the next adventure and a wonderful opportunity to, to continue to, to learn. I spent two years researching and developing the brand and the products and writing the business plan and creating everything, you know, from the labels to the fragrance to, you know, funding everything. So, you know, I also look at that. I had an incredible um, sort of grad school experience. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So when you started all that, the two year planning process and everything you had already left. No, uh -uh. I was very busy. I was working my full-time job. (laughs) Luckily I was young and um, had lots of energy. So I was, you know, reading books on, on the treadmill at the gym in the morning and, um, (laughs) you know, nights and weekends and every, you know, every moment I had really went into, um, the backbone of, of building the business. That's great. So then you were ready. Once you jumped off, you, you already had this body that you had created you didn't jump off and then start from scratch is what I'm saying for people that are no, listening. No, that wasn't, that wasn't an opportunity. I, I didn't have any money. Right. I didn't no, have... I don't think anybody really has an opportunity. Not many people have that opportunity. That's just what I'm saying to people that are listening that are thinking every day, should I go? Should I stay? I think, you know, what I'm hearing you say is you'll know when to go, but make sure that you have thought it through, you know, take the time while you still have an income to do the beginning steps. Right. And uh, I do a lot of, of mentoring and advising mm-hmm. and, and people always ask when, you know, it's time. And, mm-hmm. you know, my, my, my big thing is you have to have a business plan. And if you don't have the discipline to write a business plan, then you don't have the discipline to actually do a business. Ah, So really? that's sort of my overarching statement because it, it is it, it, that's the you know putting your ideas on paper and having a well thought out plan oh um, yeah is incredibly valuable and if you you don't have that then you can kind of get sucked away or distracted or spend too much time in one area or another i mean uh, you know i followed a business plan book and i had knew every section that i needed to complete and if i got stuck on one section i went to another but i still went back to fill in the holes but you know, having a well thought out plan and, and roadmap is, is essential for sure. That is such great advice because if not, you go down all these different rabbit holes too. Right. And, and something that we, you and I were, you know, we were discussing on our, on our call before was, mm-hmm. you know, there's so much content out there and there's so much to listen to and so much to read. You know, I was a bit fortunate that I didn't have all that you know, yeah. back in, in 2002, I mean, it's, you know, I kind of try and bring people back to, you know, I graduated in 98. That was sort of the year of Google, <laughs> you know, kind of bringing <laughs> back to like what life was like, you know, um, so young, so different. So, you know, I had a one book on, on, on mm-hmm. how to structure the corporation. I read my one book and, you know, had a couple of calls and, and, talked it through and made a decision, you know, you could spend a month on that or a year, you know, it's just so easy yes. to, to, to keep going and going. Mm-hmm. For sure. And one of my favorite parts of aspects of the brand is that you created it 
in and for someone even in a sixth floor walk and yes. also want the products to be for J Crew as much as for Ocouture or whatever. So will you talk to us about both of those things? Absolutely. Um, you know, I, you know, fundamentally every product was created from a personal need um, and that never left the, the DNA of the, of the, the business. So I do love that this brand was created when I did, when I lived on a six floor walk up and I had a kitchen sink and a bathroom sink and two roommates. Um, I had to walk around the corner to the fluff and fold, you know, then there was the dry cleaner down the block. And then there was my mother's laundry room an hour away on New Jersey transit, where I took my, my more valuable laundering <laughs> to be, to be managed. <laughs> The purpose of the brand is that it is for everyone and everyone has dirty laundry and everybody cares about something. And these products were developed that if you lived in, you know, and a walk up with just a kitchen sink, or you had, you know, a giant, you know, luxurious laundry room with every bell and whistle, the product, you know, could serve everyone, you know, accordingly. And, you know, so much of that is the product with also the, the how-to, the methodology, how to remove stains, here's the process, how to hand wash, you know, how best to, to store, even if you're taking, you know, so for 10 years, I took my laundress bottles to the laundromat still, and, and they mm-hmm. did my laundry. I didn't get to do it and have a machine, but my product was being used for my laundry. And it is still fun to go to the laundromat in New York and see bottles on the shelves for the laundry. That is so so cool. I didn't even know. I didn't know about that. That's Mm -hmm. wonderful. Speaking of that, what are some of the biggest mistakes that people make when taking care of their clothes? I I guess I should say my biggest cringe is watching, is watching someone, especially that I know that it's a friend that is a laundress user, put their, their underwire bras in the washing machine. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, That's an underwire bra needs to be hand washed or it won't last that long. I also feel the same way about swimwear, about bathing suits, but really it's not about quote, mistakes. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's just sort of what you could do better. And that was, you know, a big part of the education of the brand is defining what everyone is used to looking on the care labels and the care labels are written to protect the garment manufacturer. So the easiest thing to protect whoever made the garment is to say dry clean. So then it's the dry cleaner's fault if anything goes wrong and they're not regulated. So we're all kind of starting off with, with bad information as a consumer so being able to have this platform to educate consumers that look at your care label, but don't exactly look at, it tells you to dry clean or, or, you know, but really let's look at what the content is and the fiber content. And if it's cotton and linen, those are the most launderable fabrics. If it's a polyester and, and most synthetics, incredibly launderable. There's only a few that are a little mm-hmm. dicey, um, a rayon and a viscose could could you know really be not washable and problematic. Silks are are washable, like you know our wools and cashmere. You know I'd say ninety five percent of care labels would say to dry clean only. 
Mm. Um, but really learning how to identify your labels and with the proper products and the proper process, you can clean more effectively and have better results at home yourself. And then there's some other little um, best habits, uh, you know, really focusing on, on sorting properly. I am a big advocate in, in washing sheets and towels alone together. Mm -hmm. I'm a big batch washer. So Mm -hmm. um, the last two days I've been washing about a dozen cashmere and wool sweaters in in color Mm -hmm. batches. (laughs) So I just did all the cream sweaters yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) You have to do it that way though. I mean, I think it's very efficient. Right, and, and also I, like, and I also happen to have an, a, a sort of embarrassing amount of of cream and and black sweaters <laughs> to for a batch. <laughs> That's so great. And if you wash more delicate items with your towels and your sheets, they rub against the delicate. Yeah, I mean, well, fabric, yeah. Right? And she, she, well, towels will leave lint and fuzz uh, on whatever okay. you're washing it with. Sheets right. also uh, are just more efficient in the dryer if they're if they're washed mm-hmm. together and the, are mm-hmm. dried together. And the towels are dried together because they mm-hmm. take longer and then they keep, you know, to keep the sheets from staying wet longer. So there's a, a relationship that happens for efficiency um, with mm-hmm. sort of like batches yeah. My steamer is my is my best friend. I mm. my mother sent me off to college with a giant Jiffy steamer, and I still have my <laughs> Jiffy steamer many many years ago. Since then, <laughs> and that really is you know people are intimidated by it, or maybe you buy a, like a less expensive model or a small handheld, and then you don't get the value from mm-hmm. a real good steamer, and it just saves so much money being able to steam for those items that you need to dry clean. I mean, you definitely have to dry clean certain items and, and outerwear. And it just so much of when someone would choose to dry clean is they think they need a freshening or a pressing, which could really be managed with a steamer and, and some mm-hmm. fabric fresh or woolen mm-hmm. cashmere spray or whatnot. Um, and it also has solid bacterial properties. So you get a lot out of a nice steam. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I, I think it helps your clothes last longer to do it oh, that way. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Nothing, nothing really wants to be overwashed and nothing wants to be over dry cleaned. Right. So there certainly is a balance of, of when to wash and when to do that. So I know that you had some books as resources and you had a lot of conversations, but do you want to share anything about how you learned to start, run, and grow a company? <laughs> well, I, I certainly have a, a creative approach to life. As a creative person, I, I am quite fortunate that I, I have a little of the right and the left brain going. So I have a strong, you know, practical side with my creative side. So I really took that approach throughout all of my, you know, through my, my work at Ralph Lauren and starting the business and, you know, sort of the thread of, of, of my career and, and, and studies, et cetera, you know, creative problem solving just was the backbone of how I approached everything and really being open to 
connecting and having conversations and learning from other people. And I, I definitely had a fair share of, of meetings where I was told I was crazy and this was a terrible idea. But, <laughs> you know, there was still probably like one little nugget that came from that. So just kind mm-hmm. of, and having having a bad meeting is good to, to outweigh and, and work with a good meeting. So mm-hmm. um, everything, you know, is certainly not, sunshine roses so Mm -hmm. it's also good to face that sort of adversity when people are challenging you and you are then further thinking and defending and for you know formulating why this is important yeah i'm sure sometimes with the um like if someone had some reasons why they thought it was never going to work you might stop and say well why let's look at it from their point of view why are they saying that and then, Absolutely. you know, yeah, it makes you, it makes you build your own personal case even stronger and then be able to answer to that, you know, within your business plan or in your future conversations. Exactly. Yeah. That's wonderful. Okay. Let's talk about self-funding the business. That seems like that would have been really, really tough. And then later ending up selling it to Unilever. That's that journey. What has that been like? It was a long journey. <laughs> <laughs> Building the business for the two years and then launching and then from launching to the acquisition was 15 years. At the time in 2004 was a, a high time when brands were being snatched up, you know, Bobby Brown or, mm. um, you know, when was you know in business independently for mm-hmm. such mm-hmm. a short time before Estee Lauder and you know all these brands were just sort of being like new idea and snatched up. Um, mm-hmm. So that was sort of the the environment that we were creating in and the business model that I admired and was building after was the Bumble and Bumble Hair Salon mm-hmm. and Bliss Spa which at the time mm-hmm. were two New York city institutions. They had one mm-hmm. salon and spa each, and then they had an incredible product line that was sold all over the world. So you could be in Japan or Paris or mm-hmm. wherever and, and buy those products and have your own body butter at home or your own beach curls wherever you were. And that was really the theory in the, uh, behind the laundress, which we would have one institution in New York city and everyone in the world could, you know, have the laundress mm-hmm. at home. No one was anticipating uh, the financial crisis and, you know, 2008. Mm-hmm. So the reality that we were able to survive that and um, stay in business and, and then con- and continue to flourish was, was no easy feat for sure. And also being self-funded the company was built on credit cards mm. and it was much easier to amass. This is before 2008 in the first couple of years, it was much easier to, you know, mail in an envelope and get a credit card <laughs> with 0% interest <laughs> than it was to get any other money to get mm-hmm. a loan. Well, I should say, I, I really should say that we did start off with a hundred thousand dollar SBA loan. So I worked with the Small Business Association locally at the college in New York City 
and, um, and secured. So $100,000 startup capital that was certainly not free nor easy to get and came with mm-hmm. tremendous strings, including our entire 401ks as our only assets to leverage. But it was something and it, and it provided us our first production run. However, that certainly didn't last very long. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. It was a very long, exhausting journey of never having enough money and sort of always um, penny to penny. I think it's good for, you know, for entrepreneurs to hear that, you know, just to understand that because it is super stressful. And, and I've heard a lot of people say the credit cards were the way that they were able to fund the business, stay alive in the early years. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, it's super stressful and that's what, felt right to us just raising money and going through that whole process never really added up. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and then also it wouldn't have been our, our company. We would, you know, to, we would have lost all of that. You know, control is a, is a big word, but you know, our own agility and destiny to, to get to the finish line in our own path. And Absolutely. That, yeah. And so that was, you know, such a blessing to be able to be, you know, lean and agile at all times. And, you know, I could create a product so quickly, get it to market. It, we were so, so efficient operating like that. So there were, there were as, there were as stressful and difficult as it was, there were a tremendous amount of upside to mm-hmm. being able to maintain that kind of efficiency. Autonomy too. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. And then selling to Unilever. How did you know it was time? Let's talk about that. It's a funny story. They walked in our store one day. (laughs) Essentially (laughs) is what happened. It was the strangest thing to this day. I don't really understand why this business development guy walked actually into the store. If you thought I was sitting there, that was my office unclear but um, that's how the conversation started. And he was sent to secure a meeting for us to come in and, and meet the president of US uh, Unilever at the time, who was then moving into the, uh, to lead the global home care business. So they came to us and we had, we spoke to them for a long time and it was, a very long and exhausting deal process, but I never had Unilever on my radar because they had Mm -hmm. divested of all of their U.S. cleaning brands. Mm -hmm. However, I always wanted to partner and actually be bought by seventh generation. I thought that we Mm -hmm. were very aligned Mm -hmm. in our our purpose-driven brands Mm -hmm. who have very different purposes, but we are still very purpose-driven. And when I, a few years before, it's three years before, I, when I read the announcement that Unilever had acquired seventh generation, I literally felt that like I got left at the altar. (laughs) I lost my prom date. So, um, so it was a bit well-suited that it was Unilever who, who was knocking on our door. And now I would be, I'd say, I call seven generation, my, my cousins now, you know, you feel bad and then it all works out. 
Right, right. And it, and it really, that has been one of the, the, the nice parts about the acquisition was being able to spend a lot of time with it, with a lot of talented people at, at seventh generation. Mm-hmm. Let's talk more about being a purpose-driven brand and also how you've made the brand more sustainable over the years. Sure. The purpose of the laundress was to preserve our clothing and our home, you know, home items and not to dry clean. So we didn't want want to eliminate the need for the toxicity of the dry cleaning and the expense and, you know, the wear and tear of the clothes that was not necessary. And we wanted to preserve anything that, that we, you know, owned or, you know, and, and keep that as long as, as we wanted to, our decision, not have it being made for us of, oh, it's dingy, it's yellow, it's a pit stain, blah, 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 or it's falling apart. So that idea of preservation was always um, at the forefront of the brand mission. Then when we were creating these formulas and we went back to Cornell and worked with the PhD fiber science professor who specialized in detergency and we were you know learning about all the the ingredients and and why how when and where it became obvious that the most effective ingredients were actually plant derived but no one used them because they were the most expensive so because we weren't building a product to compete with Tide or on the grocery shelf, so it wasn't, you know, we were building a, quote, luxury brand, but for a consumer product, you know, with the luxury principles. So we wanted to use the best ingredients, the best fragrance, have the best results, the best craftsmanship. We had a concentrated product you know, back in 2004, because those giant bottles just were filled with water. We didn't need water. That wasn't luxurious. That, you know, was a bad principle. So we concentrated it. So all of these things were all part of the fabric of the thought of this brand. It was a sustainable and, you know, eco-friendly product from the beginning, but you know, bringing ourselves back to the world of 2004, there wasn't this eco space per se, you know, there was, you, you bought sort of these alternative clean, you know, products in the health food store that Mm -hmm. didn't really work, but people would buy them because they were committed to, to, you know, Mm -hmm. the cause at the expense Mm -hmm. of efficacy. It's very funny because this is like, even seventh generation says this, very publicly how ineffective their cleaning products were for so long, but people bought them because they were committed to, to the principle of doing better. So here we are, we have this incredible product that has, you know, does so well, it's all plant derived. We didn't wear that on the front of the brand of the label. It wasn't screaming, we're eco. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like green and rainbows and what like health food store brands look like at the time. So it's just always sort of a quiet conversation in the back. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, you know, that never left. That's, it was always part of, part of the DNA. And, you know, the, I was very aggressive in the last two years of, doing even better. And I pushed really hard to change all of our plastic PET bottles to PCR 
And I didn't want to just do a small percentage of PCR, which for PCR is post-consumer recycled plastic. Everybody has seen it. You might not even realize it. You have a water bottle that's like slightly gray looking now. It's not that crystal Mm -hmm. clear. It has a tint to it. And I got a lot of pushback about that, about if this is, you know, the laundress, this is a prestige brand. It's supposed to look perfect. And I said, what is perfect is about doing the best. And I was unwilling to compromise at a percentage of PCR. So the, the laundress brand has completely transitioned to a hundred percent PCR in the past year. Wow. So that, that was very exciting sort of, um, pushing that through and, and really making a difference. And I really felt that that was the right thing. And our customers care. They want that. They're not going to say, oh, my bottle looks so, not as pretty on my shelf anymore. It's like, no, I feel better that this bottle's on my shelf now. Yes, that's amazing. It was already so much better than everything else. You know what I mean? As far, I mean, you've really taken it. You've raised the bar for everybody else. And and really and truly, I think what we always tell our our community and I tell my clients if they're they say they want to you know do something from circular fashion or for sustainability practice it in some way but they don't really understand it the easiest thing is like you said taking care of your own clothes wearing them for a long time and all of that you, you started the brand about yeah. before anybody was talking about sustainability it was just a practical thing Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now it has a nice tidy name to attach to it. You can say we've been doing that since before it was cool. <laughs> What's great, as, especially with the PCR, was it was very rewarding to do something very big. And I, you know, mm-hmm. I felt strongly about it, but I also wanted to, as the brand say, look, this is cool. We're doing right. it. And like you, you, you're going to be next. Yes, we're all in and it's doable. Absolutely. What about the scents? How did you develop? How did you pick your scents? Creating the the scent structure and the fragrances was very deliberate with mapping out the whole brand experience. And that continues with kind of challenging and questioning and wanting to do better than what was out there. And Mm -hmm. what made no sense was buying a detergent from one company and a softener from another and from a starch and a, you know, on and on and on. Mm-hmm. You had a completely inconsistent scent experience. You had like five different fragrances in, in one load of laundry or, you know, one dress shirt that you were, you know, ironing. So mm-hmm. creating the, the scent of classic was designed to be the start to finish fragrance for the brand. So from stain, as we say, from stain to starch, it's all in one scent. And then the rest of the collection circles around that. So then the wool and cashmere shampoo, which was, you know, really the brainchild of the laundress. I created the, you know, my idea for the laundress really was from my cashmere sweater collection. Mm-hmm. And then from there was, well, I need a delicate wash for my silks and synthetics. I need denim wash for my jeans. And then, you know, later on we added a sport and then, of, you know, of course there was the, the baby collection, but mm-hmm. all of those fragrances were developed specifically for that fabric and that end use. But also because we weren't, 
you know, competing in a grocery store arena and building from this luxury perspective, you know, going to a fine fragrance house and working with, you know, the best materials and scents, you know, to create these very fine fragrance perfumes to be part of the experience. So the wool and cashmere shampoo, you know, was always going to have a cedar scent, but not cedar that you would associate with like a cedar brick or a hamster cage or whatever, some gross, <laughs> really like unattractive cedar, but right. to really build a, a beautiful scent structure around cedar that would still have that sort of natural properties that we all align with, you know, with, with what cedar does with, with woolens. Mm-hmm. Um, and so on and so forth. So that methodology, you know, continued through the the collection, and you know, so the stain solution was unscented, so that could pair with any of those other products. So it was very deliberate and very methodical. And you know, we don't make products that don't make sense in a pairing. So you know, there's no softener for wool because you should never use a fabric softener with a wool or there's no, mm-hmm. so, you know, fabric softener for a delicate wash because you should never use a softener for a silk or synthetic, things like that. And you really don't need to with product. That's true. This is true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I bet that was a wonderful experience working with Malabo. Oh, yeah. I mean, all, all of the, the partnerships that we did were so great because they were completely authentic and that was really creatively and the energy of the brand was be able to have these super Mm -hmm. meaningful authentic collaborations and just reaching out to Fabrice which is one of the founders of Lalabo and saying you know we always wanted to have this super luxurious uh, Mm -hmm. detergent and you know we wanted to pair with the fine you know with some incredible Mm -hmm fragrance company and he was up and coming and just really fit the the mm-hmm. mold of what we were looking for and and we met we did some you know test samples and we never even had a contract we just did it together and and it was an, you know an incredible partnership that still um two acquisitions later um <laughs> strong <laughs> let's talk about global expansion how did you go about that It's actually funny because that was one of the easiest things to do. I was going to to trade shows for Ralph Lauren and uh, there was an incredible home show in Paris called Maison Objet that I Mm -hmm. had walked um, with Polo. That was like the best of the best and of Europe and globally the best buyers would go there. So, you know, we met our our Japanese partners there and then our Korean partners there. So, you know, because I knew about this show, I reached out and off we went to Paris and did the show. And, you know, that, so, and the other thing about, and we even had at our first show in New York city that we did at the Javits center, we also had um, international customers from the, from the beginning as well, because Europe and Asia, they really understood more of a wash of an, there weren't dry clean societies. So they really understood laundering and understood the reason and the rationale and, you know, this incredible product that worked for their markets. They, they, it was more understood than it was in the U S market. 
That is so interesting. And also they take better care of their clothes. They keep their clothes forever. Right. Less is more. And culturally it was um, much more understood. Yes. That makes perfect sense. I hadn't even thought about that before. I mean, to tell a American person, Mm-hmm. You know, 15, 20 years ago to start hand washing. <laughs> so like, that's why I have a machine. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> why would I do that? <laughs> why would I do that? Well, what would you say? I mean, I feel like they're all wildly popular and beloved, but what are your most popular products? Yeah, I mean, my number one child was the wool and cashmere shampoo and mm-hmm. And and with that was the delicate wash. So it was, those were the two Mm -hmm. sort of dry, clean, you know, quote replacements. Mm -hmm. Um, But the trajectory of of the brand and and expansion, whether it was an international market or a new store or, you know, anywhere, Mm -hmm. it has been really, it all is the same. You know, you get a client to start with those two products and hand wash or even machine wash, mm-hmm. machine wash with all of them um, and really understand the value of the brand and the reward of its efficacy and benefits. And then the customer will start exploring the rest of the collection. They'll go into the stain solution and then can't believe how mm-hmm. that's changed their life and removes everything. And then, and then gradually the signature detergent or everyday detergent becomes number one. It was a very big day in, in the business journey when signature detergent finally surpassed our, our one and two, our wool and mm-hmm. delicate. And that mm-hmm. really is how the business model continue it, it, mm-hmm. it replicates itself in every new market so there is that that roadmap to try experience reward and then mm-hmm. be able to then continue and, and enjoy some of the other brand products well to me a big plug for your business is when designers multiple designers that i've worked with have told clients just how do you, you know, do you have to dry clean it? How do you take care of these fabrics? You need to get the laundress. Yeah. It's nice to hear that. And it's nice that this is more of a conversation now with people, you know, purchasing and and making investment Mm -hmm. pieces or just everyday awareness Mm -hmm. of, okay, Mm -hmm. how am I going to continue to enjoy this for Mm -hmm. for a while now? Mm -hmm. And a lot of designers, the thing that sets them apart from other people are their fabrics. They're amazing fabrics that they're bringing in from Japan and France and everywhere. And so for them to recommend the laundress is a nice stamp of approval. (laughs) Absolutely. Let's talk about your experience of opening and running a brick and mortar store. The store was always in that business plan. And, and as I referenced the, the, one bliss spot and that one uh, bumble and bumble. It didn't happen at, at kickoff. So the store really came in, goodness, like 12 years later, almost 13 years later. So it was an incredible undertaking. It's expensive. I'm running such a lean organization. And every year we had to prioritize what the next project was, whether it was you know, updating the website, you know, all these really expensive things. And we finally got to the point when it was, we had enough pennies that we could pull together and it was the year of the store. And it really, 
is an incredible undertaking, but it really, you know, cemented a, a giant check mark in the in the business plan. Like it would, it was never going to be complete without that store. And it was so important to, you know, we were sold on so many shelves, whether it was mm-hmm. the container store, or Bloomingdale's, or online on our, you know, on our website or on Amazon. And there's only so much you can communicate, even on a beautiful website with mm-hmm. videos and every bell and whistle, you still can't really experience a brand. Mm -hmm. So it was very important to have this brick and mortar that someone could walk in and be like, oh, I get it. This is the world of the laundress. And and so much of that, you know, really was, you know, the world of Ralph Lauren and walking into that store and you Mm -hmm. you knew where you were and having a sense of place and Mm -hmm. point of view, but also being able to have these one-on-one conversations with the customer and giving stain advice and, you know, laundering tutorials in a, in a place for community where we did events and people come together and, and even just, you know, someone passing by and being able to smell one of the fragrances smelled like, or, Mm -hmm. you know, how I read this, this how to, but really I don't, you know, I want to see it or experience it. So there was really, um, there was just, it was never going to be replaced mm-hmm. with a, with a, mm-hmm. someone else's shelf or, or e-com experience. Mm-hmm. So, but at the same time, our very good mutual friends, um, the Malin and Getz um, yes. boys were like, don't do it. It's a whole nother business. Because <laughs> they launched, they launched their brand the same, same year or same month actually uh-huh. as, as ours. And they launched with a store. So they were able to run Mm -hmm. and operate their business out of their first store. And that was ideally our plan as well, but we couldn't Mm -hmm. afford it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it is a whole nother business and Mm -hmm. it is certainly a labor of love to um, add that Mm -hmm. into the, to the matrix, but well worth it. Well worth it. Do people ever run in there and say, I have a quick question. I have this stain on my sweater. And then the person that's oh, yeah, working all the time, people, say, oh, bring, stuff, people bring stuff in. There's an emergency, <laughs> there's emergency stain removals that happen at all times. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. great. It's fun. Great. So any stain removal tips? Yes. I like a lot I, of people like rub their fabrics. Exactly. So I can't, so that's like another party peeve of mine. I can't stand it if someone spills something on themselves and then sits there and then like douses themselves with water and then uses it like a, you know, the worst is like a paper napkin because then you're getting paper pulp all over it. But even just like a dinner napkin, like, and then you have like this huge wet stain and it's just a mess. But if you just mm-hmm. left like the teeny dribble behind, it would be less noticeable. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. So, and there there really isn't that much that's critical to do that immediate mm-hmm. um, stain removal on. So I I would much prefer if someone just like whoopsie and then drank a glass of mm-hmm. had a sip of their wine and, and carried on mm-hmm. and then you know and then sorted it out when they got home or the next day or whatever mm-hmm. because you know it really. You know, I've, mm-hmm. I've have met very few stains in my life that can't be managed A and B that can't be managed the next day. You can actually do damage to probably to the fabric. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and you're just 
with water and napkins, it's just like rubbing and then you make it yeah. worse. And it's just not the ideal. Bigger. It's not <laughs> the ideal. It's better to be prepared with the proper products and the proper environment. Uh, Most successful ice. stain removal happens with uh, pre-treating and pre-soaking. So I'm mm. a big advocate in, in pre-treating. So then you don't have to wash several times. You, mm-hmm. you just treat and then it, it comes out right away. I'm also a big advocate in, in treating stains that you don't see. So, you know, where you get the yellow armpit stains mm-hmm. or the dingy collars or cuffs is, mm-hmm. is over and over and over and it doesn't get removed from the general wash. So if you're just dabbing some stain solution under your armpits or on your collars or cuffs every time, then you'll just avoid that build up. And then one day you're like, oh my gosh, just can't believe how yellow this is. So you, you don't get to that point because you're actually ah. removing it every time. Oh, that's interesting. I've never thought about that. I like that. That's a great tip. And your website has great resources on it too. People need to play around with the website if they've never visited it. Yes, there's a, a ton of content there. Over the years, it's been more developed on how to search, but you know that we mm-hmm. created you know stain searches and fabric searches and can I be mm-hmm. washed searches. So mm-hmm. um, it's all there. It's great. So. So wonderful and important. And that's something at the style that binds us that we are, we feel passionate about and want to help take care of their clothes as well. So we are very much aligned in that on the subject of product creation. So after the 13 original products from the business plan, can we talk about how you decided which products to make next, how long it took, et cetera? So the, the 13 were what we could afford to start with manufacturing. We had another three in the wings that were on the second production. And then from there, the business plan continued. So we actually never ran out of product <laughs> from that business plan. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. What actually was not in that plan, though, was our home cleaning collection. And that really manifested from a consumer demand and mm. our customers were saying we love the laundress and, and, and our end customers and our store partners mm. saying we love the laundress but what do we sell for home cleaning we don't really know what mm. to sell there we don't have anything that we love as much as the laundress and and our uh, direct you know consumers and users were saying you know we love the laundress but what do you do to you know what do you use to clean your home i'm like oh mm-hmm. seventh generation <laughs> mm-hmm. so that really was um and we're like but we're the laundress you know we're in the, can we get out of the laundry room so that was a right. big decision for us but because it was a strongly supported ask from our community it was you know mm-hmm. pretty a comfortable place to go the difference with the home cleaning collection was, well, while for laundry, it's very fabric specific and we, you know, because the nuances of fabrics we wanted, there were so many different products for you know, de- delineating between the delicates and the wool and sport and denim. Whereas home cleaning, when you go to the grocery store, there's like a million products of the same thing, whether it's called kitchen or bathroom or counter, you know, there are all too many names for the same thing. The concept was to really pare down the one best product 
that is essential for cleaning. So we have our surface cleaner, which is all surfaces, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's kitchen surfaces, bathroom surfaces, whatever, safe from wood to marble to anything else. And glass cleaner, you know, all glass and mirrors. Mm-hmm. And then we had an all-purpose cleaning concentrate, which you dilute with water, which then you could you use for mopping or mm-hmm. you know large surfaces a super concentrate and then dish soap so that collection was so tight <laughs> and, and on purpose because that whole okay. category and market was so confusing it was nutty you know how many products you know are mm-hmm. labeled and branded and confusing and then you know the same principles of using plant-derived highly effective ingredients and then our two sort of really unique hero products that cross between the laundry room and home mm-hmm. cleaning are our scented vinegar and mm-hmm. the all-purpose bleach alternative. Chlorine mm-hmm. bleach was, you know, not ever, ever, ever in, in our repertoire. It was, you know, mm-hmm. I ruined many, many sheets and shirts and button downs mm-hmm. in my wash and fold saying add bleach. Cause I was so freaked out mm-hmm. by the communal machines, <laughs> but I learned <laughs> my lesson, everything frayed and sh- shredded mm-hmm. and disintegrated. Yeah. Through. yeah, disintegrated. So those two products are effective and, and fun where they can be used in the laundry room and in the kitchen <laughs> just frees up so much space. It's kind of like the beauty industry. There's yes, so many exactly. products that, that was kind of doing the same thing that you have just cluttered everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it's so nice. And, and also the place where you keep all of these products, how nice just to have four, you know, exactly. you go exactly. to for pretty much everything. And every time you Google anything, they say, put vinegar on it. <laughs> just do clean it with vinegar and water. It doesn't matter if it's mold off of wood or something in your yeah, odor. Your, I mean, it's so versatile. It's odor so and- versatile. Our bleach alternative is like the most used product in, in the household from, you know, yeah, absolutely. Sprinkling in the load of laundry or yeah. last night I sprinkled in all my baking dishes for my roast potatoes and mm. um, squash, you know, you just sprinkle mm-hmm. it in the pan and the next morning you just dump out the water and it's, yeah. It's amazing. It's so nice to get back to like just the simple practical things that really actually work. What does the modern laundry room look like? How's it changed? Do you think? I believe everybody could have a wonderful laundry space and with, you know, whatever elements you're, you have, whether again, Mm -hmm. it's that sink and you can have Mm -hmm. our wash basin and the hand washing products and a wall mounted hook that is super convenient to hang and line dry things from, Mm -hmm. you know, I travel with a little pouch with my hand washing kit, you know, to the hotels and that works perfectly great. I've also built and designed a a number of laundry spaces for various offices and Mm -hmm. store and my own personal and my number one thing that I, people, I believe people don't take into enough consideration is having workspace, counter mm-hmm. space. Um, I think so much is focused on the giant machines and, and mm-hmm. then you don't have a shelf and you don't have a, a counter or mm-hmm. last year I developed these campers that had a wooden 
table, you know, shelf on them with, with steel hamper company, which, you know, so you can have a hamper and you can have a workspace at the same time. Oh, that's great. You know, and having a, a lot of hanging space, like a lot of, you'll see a lot of laundry rooms that are designed with like a bar over the washing machine, but mm -hmm. that implies that your entire wardrobe are dress shirts. Well, that's right. not really realistic. Right. That's not right. my, that's not the bulk of my laundry. No. You know, and also, you know, do you want to be drip drying all your shirts over your machines? Not exactly. Right. Especially, no <laughs> kidding. It's electrical. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, where are you folding? Where are you sorting? Where are you treating? Um, when it says um, lay flat to draft. Exactly. So, you know, I, I always like people to really think about their lifestyles, who's in the household and what they're washing and really take that into mm -hmm. consideration when, you know, designing a space, if you're starting mm -hmm. from scratch. But there's also so many great things you could do. You know, so many people still have like, you know, laundry in the cellar. I, I had one in, in my house and you can sure put down a, a nice rug and have a little either one of the hampers with a wooden top or a nice, right. you know, Ikea table and, and create mm -hmm. yourself a, a lovely workspace too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. One question, personal question. So after you wash those cashmere sweaters, then what do you do with them? So they're draped over various drying racks sort of mm -hmm. nicely okay. um, where the, the, the arms aren't hangling or hanging or dangling because right, right. that would stretch. So, you know, I kind of, prop them up so they're in some mm -hmm. like shape uh, mm -hmm. and let those dry overnight is is easiest so I did that yesterday and then this morning uh, I had my my steamer on and I was putting them on a hanger and steaming them and then I took my cashmere brush and gave them a little brush to get, remove any lint or pieces that were hanging on and then mm -hmm. um if I needed, I use my sweater calm and depilled. You know, usually it's where you're rubbing. There's an abrasion. Yeah. So you're depilling, right. you know, under the arms or the arms are swinging or in the cuffs. So oh. those areas, just for a little final touch, I always add a little cashmere spray at the end. Mm -hmm. When you oh, take it out of the <laughs> sink, like when you, you know, when it still has a lot of water in it. I know you're not supposed to wring them out. Do you right, roll it up? Right. Towel so or head? I actually, so I actually did all my bashes in my machine in the delicate mm -hmm. cycle on okay, that makes sense. tap water setting, tepid water. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um, and I put them all in the inside out and mm -hmm. I use our mesh bags. Yes. So they're very protected and, and yes. not, arms aren't lining up against each other. Yes. Um, delicate cycle, low spin, the whole shebang. If I was hand washing, correct. You, you don't want to wring or twist. You just want to mm -hmm. press, press all the extra water. You can also lie it flat on a towel and roll the mm -hmm. towel, roll the sweater into the towel, like a, a roll. Yeah. And that will remove a lot of the excess water. So it will dry quicker. That's great. So, and I also think that's really good to, for everyone to hear, put your sweaters in the lingerie bag, the mesh yep. bag yep. that you can get from the laundress too. And then that really does protect them. That's wonderful. Yeah. It's easier to do your the batch method that way. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's great. <laughs> that, your hands would be falling apart. <laughs> quicker, quicker, quicker drying, quicker drying. 
one of the secrets to looking put together is all of those things, making sure it's not wrinkled, things pilled. I feel like your brand, that's something mom stresses with her clients. And then also your brand has most, if not all of the resources to ensure that your clothes are perfectly ready to wear. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's, it's nice. You know, I, I go back to that batch method because mm-hmm. it's hard to keep track of when you've washed what. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I often do like all the jeans at once, all mm-hmm. the black sweaters at once, you know, so then you're not sort of, you know, surprised when you pull something out and you're like, oh, yes. it doesn't look so great. You know, yeah. you kind of know, it's like my mom changes the batteries and her smoke detectors on daylight saving time. <laughs> right. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And the thing about pilled sweaters, people are like, oh, I don't want to do that. I'm like, put on your favorite TV show and just sit down and, you know, work sure, on yeah, it at a time. Because it definitely is not a great look. No, it's, it's certainly not. And, you know, and my fashion sense and my style is really, and so much about the brand is to help people really feel good about their, their clothes and have it so easy and, you know, not a big chore and, and making that everyday chore mm-hmm. a luxurious experience mm-hmm. and, you know, just being comfortable and confident and whether it's just a, a nice pressed button down shirt or mm-hmm. a cozy sweater that, that, is cozy, but doesn't look like you've, you know, slept in it for five years. (laughs) (laughs) You have built such a beautiful brand. Congratulations on that. We have a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to our podcast. So would you like to share any advice for them? Yes. I go back to a plan, have a plan Mm -hmm. and uh, lots of focus lots of discipline, keep open to creative thought processes and problem mm-hmm. solving. Cause every, you will be now everyone uses the word pivot, but you, you know, yeah. you, you are constantly evolving mm-hmm. and growing and learning and, and doing better. Mm-hmm. So you mm-hmm. want to keep that open and agile. Yeah. That's wonderful. How often did you, would you say that you, I think some people built write their business plan and they never look at it again. How often did you refer to it in the beginning? It was actually quite fun to revisit because you can just sort of tick the mm-hmm. box or attach a sales revenue to a, a concept, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of always knowing what was on there and then what was next and thinking, mm-hmm. oh, is this the right time for this? You yeah. know, is this going to yield the best benefit or, you know, being able to use it as a thought process and as an analysis was very yeah. helpful, but I think that's very rare. So I, I don't want to say that every, you know, every well, business, every entrepreneur needs that, but I think that is rare, but it was incredible to be able to have such a, a solid roadmap. And it is great when you can go and say, oh, wow, we actually achieved this. Mm-hmm. And, oh, we forgot about that. You know, all of that stuff. I think that is so great to have a roadmap. For sure. All right. Where can people find you and the Laundress products? I can be found at Gwen L. Whiting on Instagram or GwenWhiting.com. And mm-hmm. the Laundress products are on thelaundress.com. 
And for your audience, we have a special discount for 25% off with the code STYLE. Very generous view and so exciting. Thank you. Thank Mm. you so much. Perfect for holiday. (laughs) Oh, gosh, it is. And cashmere season. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, what a great gift that would be, too. A sweater with the laundress in with it. That would be such a cute gift. So it could be great to do like a set or kind Mm -hmm. of like slowly building our laundress, at least me personally, collection is Mm -hmm. exciting. Exciting thing and age. Everybody, and age. everybody has dirty laundry, so. That's right. That's right. <laughs> okay, Gwen. Well, thank you so much. Congratulations. Oh, thank you, ladies. What a pleasure to be here. Of course. Well, everyone, we will see you next time. Thank you for tuning into this episode on the Style That Finds Us podcast. If you like this podcast, make sure to tell a friend and subscribe. You can be a part of growing with us. Also, do you know about our weekly newsletter? You'll get access to exclusive content in our newsletter that we don't post anywhere else. Our newsletter comes out every Tuesday with the exception of the third Thursday of the month for Allison's special Celebrating Life After 40 edition. Head to the bottom of the Style That Binds Us website to subscribe.